Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Barrier, and I'm here with my man, Chad Peterman. What's up, Chad? How's it going, Corey? Thanks for having me on. Excited to chop it up here for for a little while. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, dude. You're, you're, uh, you're an icon a little bit in in this space. You've done something that really nobody else has done. You're arguably one of the largest or the largest i should say uh plumbing hvac and, and electrical is that right outfit in the yep, country. all for all three yeah i think we've definitely seen some scale and size i don't know if we're the biggest but we're definitely getting up there but i think the biggest thing we focus on is it's not so much about the the bigger i always tell our people let's focus on better and the bigger will take care of itself sure yeah, 100%. Here's what I find fascinating about that. And the thing that you and I have in common that we have not really talked about is I, I came from, you didn't really come from outside the industry, but like, you're not a plumber, you're not a technician, you never have been. I think you've been a plumbing manager for a very temporary p- period of time, <laughs> from what I understand. Yeah. But I, I, and the same for me, like I came from outside, I fell into the industry, completely outside the industry. And so it really is, it's not that easy of an industry to get into if you don't know anything about the, the actual trade. For sure. Yeah. I, I fell, I've been around it my whole life because my dad started the company. But yeah, I have no technical aptitude whatsoever. And that goes well beyond HVAC, plumbing, and electrical, as my wife will attest. But I just have learned to stay in my lane and do what I do. But I think to your point, I think it's difficult to get in. But I think the one thing that I learned very early on and what gave me kind of the confidence to continue on in the industry is that it's very little about working on furnaces and water heaters and electrical panels, it's more about people and it's connecting with the people on your team, connecting with their field professionals, and then ultimately supporting them to a point where they can connect with the customer and build trust, build a relationship that makes it easy to do business with. And so for me, that's where I've leaned into kind of the people side of things. And how do we build a really strong culture in a company that really cares about their people and wants to see them succeed as the company succeeds as well. 100%. Yeah, I think not being a technician, not being a plumber, I, I have a little bit very similar to what you just said. It, it is about people and it's about being able to have conversations with people. It's about being able to have empathy for people. And 
sometimes that's hard to come by as a as a tech i'm not saying all technicians don't have empathy but they're kinesthetic people right they work with their hands they're not great they didn't come out of the box with great communication skills because that's not what they focused on naturally and so that's where i see yeah i think that's i i actually have wondered if that's the reason a lot of the reason that you've been as successful as you have because it's just from a different uh i guess mindset if you will yeah i think that I always say that, yes, I, I would agree with you 100%. I think that's where I've gained traction. Not because I don't know anything, but I think it's because I didn't have to jump over that hurdle. I was very aware from the very beginning that I didn't know anything. And so I needed to over-index and care for the people on our team that did know stuff so that we could actually get work done. But I think it's one of those hurdles where so many people, my dad being one of them, where he was a technician. Well, Technicians pride themselves on having the answers, being able to fix things, and leadership is a whole different skill set. I always tell our people that want to move up in the company is you need to trade in your plumbing tool belt for your leadership tool belt. And unfortunately, the pipe wrench isn't in your leadership tool belt because as a leader, you can no longer do the work. You have to empower others to do the work. And so I think it's just a hurdle, but it can either be a really big hurdle or a smaller one, but it's an understanding of it's there. And I'm going to have to work with that knowing that's how I'm wired, right? I like to fix things. I like to have the answers. And leadership is very little about having the answers. It's about making sure that you ask the right questions so that others can figure out problems. Yeah, and putting people in place that can that can answer those questions because obviously if without the background and that deep understanding of for me anyway deep understanding of how how to fix these things i'm like a lot like you i couldn't fix anything uh, so but it's important to to have people in your corner that you can depend on to be able to pick up where where, where we're not good at right the same thing is the right seat right people in the right seats exactly the same thing yep absolutely Yeah, and I think that's a piece of the puzzle that, again, not knowing anything about the industry, I think that I'm more, and it's taken time, right? I was one that wanted to be involved in everything, and I know what to do once you get your feet under you. Um, But it's really just understanding that in order to grow, you have to empower people to do things at scale. You can't solve every problem. And if you are currently, then that is as big as you're going to get. Your capacity is as big as the company can get. It's about expanding that capacity, expanding that bandwidth with really great people that you allow to make decisions and make mistakes and fix things and and so on and so forth. So that's a great point. So let's pause right there for a second. What Tell me a time when that was really hard for you, because you've gone, there's different levels of how you've had to grow. And so I'm sure there's been times where feel, I don't know, I guess lack of control. I mean, you have to let go of control in your situation and you've had to do that on multiple levels. So maybe tell me about a time when that was maybe hard for you. Yeah. So 
A great example of that is about two, maybe three years ago now that we're almost done with 23 when we're recording this. About three years ago, I, I made the decision. We were growing. We we're getting bigger. And what, what I was learning was that I was trying to be the CEO and the COO of the company. And there's a reason that there aren't many people that have both titles. It it takes two people. And it's because a COO is more operationally minded. They get stuff done. They figure it out. So prior to three years ago, I tried, I emphasis on tried, to fill both roles where I was trying to cast the vision for the company and then turn around and working to hire a plumbing apprentice that we could get going. Now, when you're smaller, you got to be scrappy. And so I'm not saying if you're you know, a $4 million company, you, you can still play both. But it's important, I think, to understand in your trajectory, your growth trajectory, when am I going to need to make that shift? When am I going to need to separate these two roles so that we can accomplish more? And so back then, I handed over control to my brother. Was We were doing a lot of things together, but I said, hey, and we both agreed, hey, you take on this. And then we put our director of operations, Christy, who's been with us for 20 some odd years now, because they're two of the best operators that I've seen as far as getting stuff done, process, procedure. Here's how we're going to get work done. And when I did that, the largest growth years that we ever had in the company were after I did that. And I think looking back, hindsight's 2020, and I, I wouldn't say that I'm some sort of genius because I probably waited even too long to do it. But when you can divvy up that, there's a big difference between being the dreamer, being the vision caster, and being the implementer. I'm not a great implementer. Like I like to put the idea out there, and then I like to hand it off because people know the process and procedure and are asking the right questions that I wouldn't think about, or my mind just doesn't work. Like I don't like to think at that granular of a level. And so to me, that's a great example of, of kind of in our growth story of really separating those two roles of visionary and integrator. I think Traction, the book Traction talks a lot about that. We don't run the EOS system, but there's elements of it for sure. And that's one of the big ones that we took away. Do you feel like you had to sacrifice what you thought to get to that next level? In other words, you were trying to do both roles. I'm sure you were just running, burning the candle at both ends. And so there had to be, it almost feel like there could be a level of sacrifice of, I, well, I got to take my hands off of this in order to grow. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What's the biggest fear of giving up control? Well, no one's going to do it like I do it. No one's going to do it as well. And the key with any scaling piece is that no one is ever going to do it like you do it. No one. Not that, that you will never find somebody who does it exactly like you because we're all different. And so I think it's really just getting comfortable with the fact that they're going to do it differently. And if you let them do it rather than stepping in and say, oh, no, no I wouldn't do it that way. Oh, you're, you're doing it wrong is just let them do it. Let them do that. And what happens is when they see that trust from you 
carry over into like, oh my God, like this guy's like really like just let me go to town and I'm scared that I'm making mistakes, but I've also got some confidence because I made, I made some good moves. I've made, I've got some things working. And to me, that's when you really see the momentum, that growth momentum of you got people in the right seats. They've been empowered to do their job and with little to with little oversight because there's trust built there. And I think that's the one thing that I see in smaller companies. There's a lack of trust. It's always, well, the technician does this and that and this and the other. And it's like, one, you talking like that about your people is a recipe for disaster. But two, um, it's no one is ever going to get any better. No one is ever going to grow if you are trying to grow for them. You can't do that. They've got to grow on their own. It's like a, it's like raising a kid, right? My kids are little now, but there'll be a day when I got to take my hand off the wheel and say, all right, you need to make some of your own mistakes. And we've all heard the horror stories of the, the helicopter parent or the person that they end up doing some crazy stuff afterwards because they're trying to get out of that. So I think there's a lot of correlation between that and, and leadership is as a parent, you're a true leader. You got two little ones looking up at you and wanting to know where we're heading next. Yeah. And to think that there's not going to be failure within that is absurd. Yeah, absolutely. It's that's a recipe for, yeah, constant frustration for sure. Yeah, 100%. So you've got you've got about 600 employees at this stage. Yeah, yeah, we're right right around 600, I believe. Where do you see, in terms of employees, where do you see that going over the next, let's say, 12 to 24 months? Yeah, so the interesting part about where we are now, and I think this is an overview, and I've talked a lot about this here recently. And I think that 2023 was unlike the previous three years. And unfortunately, where I made a misstep and working to correct that is we were trying to continue to build the company in 23 like we had built it the previous three years. And I think the important thing to understand is that there were a lot of factors that one, a lot of factors that we had never experienced before because we'd never gone through a global pandemic. There were also a lot of factors that were encouraging people to essentially like front load demand. So I was going to replace my system in three years. Well, shoot, I'll just do it now because I'm home. I've got the time, all of these things that factored in. And at the time we were just like celebrating, right? It was just like, oh crap, this is great. More business. We're growing. This is awesome. And then this year comes and it's a little bit different. And so from, to answer your question, from a people perspective, the really cool thing, and I've never been in this position because in the trades, it's always like, I don't have enough technicians. We have enough people to, for the most part, double in size, which is really, it's a really great place to be because we've got all the talent. Now it's really cracking or not cracking down is the wrong word, but just really buckling down and getting better with what we have, getting better with the four calls that we run today, getting better at training, getting better at everything. And so it's a really interesting spot. I think it really opens the doors. And I, I think 
what I would encourage listeners to go and look at is when you look at your budgets, if you increase average ticket and conversion rate, can you see the same amount of growth with the exact same amount of people that you have just getting better? And to me, that's the blocking and tackling that we've all got to focus on as we move into 24, which most people are predicting is going to look a lot like 23. And so if it is, what did we learn from 23 that we don't want to repeat? And then what are the things that we need to double down on in order to grow? And to me, the successful companies that come out of 24 are going to be the ones that focused on the blocking and tackling of how you run a service business. What are we focused on? I was just meeting with our operations team today and I said, hey, here's the cool part. We just have to focus on different things and we're going to get the result that we want. So it's not, hey, we got to change everything we do. No, we don't have to change anything. We just have to focus on different things. And in the prior three years, we didn't have to focus on anything. It was just hire people. Hire people. The leads are coming in. This is fantastic. Well, now we've got to get back down to basics and we got to dig in and we've got to get really good at operating our business. And I personally am extremely excited about this because the cool part is, is if we buckle down and we really get good at the operation side of the business in a year when it's going to be tough, when interest rates go back down, things settle down on the political front, like you're going to be really good at operating that business. And when the leads start coming in, well, you're already going to be maximizing the heck out of all those. This episode of the Successful Life podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. We have just launched our partnership free tool bag giveaway. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Well, I'd say one thing that that I think you you for sure did right, and I think it's to this point, is you implemented you, your guys meet your sales guys or CAs or whatever you call them do a lot of their sales over Zoom, and I think yep. it's bizarre to me how that hasn't caught on. And I know there are a lot of companies that do it, but there's a far more that don't do it than do it. And I just think from an efficiency standpoint, not just the from the efficiency standpoint, from the customer, right? The customer, when you leave that house, is a 60 to 70% chance you're not going to close that sale. And you've eliminated that yeah. by using, and I'm not sure what you call it now, but your process with getting on Zoom, how is that, how do you think that's played into this scenario with you in terms of your, your growth? Yeah, so great point. And it's been a, a newer thing. It's been a labor of love, I will call it. So we've screwed it up a couple of times. We've finally landed on something that I think is is going to be really good. And I'll explain where we messed it up. So um, at first, we had basically call it comfort advisors. And we said, hey, you're just going to sell virtually. And you're going to help out the technicians. You're going to do all this stuff. And like on paper, that sounds fantastic. What we found is there's a conflict of interest. 
where I make my money selling systems, I make far less money coaching technicians and helping them out. And so there's this like balancing act of like, how are we going to get these people to focus? Well, what we did is we separated the departments. So now we have what we call direct field support. So they're the people that are coaching new technicians. They're coaching ones that are struggling. They're there helping them build options, work through financing, all the stuff that, you know, we know that they need help with. And then we have a group of what we call VCAs, which are virtual comfort advisors. And the big piece is we still give the customer the option. So if I'm a customer and I've got a 15-year-old system and I say, yeah, Johnny, I'd love to see some options on a new system, we go, great, let me call in and let's get you an appointment set. And so they'll call in. Internally, we call it our turnover hotline. I can't remember what we call it externally, but we don't call it that. But essentially, they call in and... One of the ladies in the office will pick up the phone and say, hey, Mr. Mrs. Smith, glad you want to do this. We can do this one of two ways. If speed and efficiency are top priority, I can get someone on a Zoom call right away to uh, to present you some options and do this. If it's something where maybe this is a year down the road purchase for you, whatever it may be, or your spouse isn't there and you really like them to be there to hear it, then let's schedule you with a comfort advisor and he can be out there at 5.30 this evening when everybody's home and and we can talk through everything. So we give them the option. The cool thing is, is, and I was just meeting with a group of technicians this morning as we're really refining this process. And I'm like, hey, can you tell when a customer, when that urgency is there? Like, hey, I want to, someone needs to replace this tomorrow. I'm not going without heat or air conditioning. And they said, yeah, you can tell as you're talking through the customer. So a lot of their pieces, they set it up, right? It's, hey, I've been with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They're really excited about potentially moving forward with something and getting that put in tomorrow. I mentioned something about our virtual capabilities, and I think that's the way they're leaning. And the lady in the office will say, that's fantastic. That's great. I just want to take a few pieces of information and I'll get you hooked up with one of our virtual comfort advisors here shortly and they can go through all your options. We get the job sold. The technician is still there. So they get all of the measurements and specs and all of that stuff. We turn the job in and in less than 24 hours, we turned around an entire system install. Installed. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Most of our stuff goes next day. Yes. I mean, you streamlined this process massively. Because yeah. the average, what's the average, what's the average company out there? How much time does it take for this whole process? Three days? Oh, yeah. It may take a while. And so we actually, in our business, we guarantee a next day install. So that's one of our kind of selling propositions is, no, we guarantee we'll get this in tomorrow. Now, a lot of people are probably like, well, how do you do that with this, that, and the other? At the end of the day, if we can't put it in next day, we give them a little bit of money off and say it's going to be the following day. But it gets you in the home for those people who want to make a decision and want to get something taken care of today. Yeah, and it's on the forefront of their mind. I can have this yep, tomorrow. Yep, you got it. Yep. Yeah, I'll be here wild. in eight hours to start the project. That's crazy. That's wild. Uh, yeah, Speed is the name of the game. 
That's yeah, dude. Yeah. Anything, speed is the name of the game. That's dude. That's that is badass. I love that. So, God, and and so how many? So the I and I like the fact that you split this process up because I it, part of me is to think well the comfort advisor it's there. I mean, I, my my thought is you would want the technician, you would want to coach the technician so you get the outcome you're looking for, which is probably how you were thinking of it at first. But then I guess things shifted and it didn't really work out that way, which seems like the comfort advisor would be shooting himself in the foot if he didn't do it that way. But now that you've yeah. separated the two, that's amazing because the service technician, he doesn't want to, he, he doesn't want to sell, right? And so, no. and it's all training. Right. It's all training those each one of those pieces for those the guy coaching, that's his job. You train him for that job. Service tech obviously train for that job. The virtual cover they all know where their spot is. Yep. Yeah. And I think the other thing is too that I'll put in there as caveat to this. So I, I don't if you're if you've got five to ten technicians, to me you can use one person it's the biggest piece we ran into is we took an idea that was a really good one joe Cursera teaches it service mvp and it worked it it works however i think the one caveat to it is understanding does it work at scale i think it can i think with our kind of culture and process and stuff like that there was something and it doesn't mean it's a bad process it's a great process it works but I think that there are considerations to take in as you scale and what that looks like. It would have been different too if we would have started this process when we had five technicians and it was just ingrained in the culture. Well, I'm trying to flip, I think we've got a hundred and some odd HVAC technicians out there, like trying to convert all of that and then get all the training and do all of this. It was just like, this is too big of a mountain to climb. And we're going to create far more frustration within the organization than we are benefit. So like, how can we do this in the least invasive way possible was how we looked at it. So I think that there, you could do it both. You could do it as both. There's companies out there that do and have great success with it. It just so happened that it didn't, we've taken elements of it for sure, but it's just modifying it a touch to, to make it work what and how we do it. Yeah, that makes sense. And now as you sit here and explain it, I'm like, yeah, I could see how if there were 10 technicians, hypothetically, for a smaller company, I could see how that virtual comfort advisor would very much so be picky on who's who he's coaching and who he's not coaching, right? And then yeah, that, that doesn't build a good culture when you've got five guys that feel like they're being left out. And essentially, they're race maybe not a race to the bottom but they're certainly not racing to the top because they don't get the attention that they need that, that they need yeah you got it we call it here the uh, cool kids club and we can't have cool kids clubs inside departments right right so you you got a book coming out right second book yeah second book is due out q1 of next year in 2024 probably February timeframe. Really excited about it. I wrote a book back in the end of 2019 called You Can't Stop the Growth. And then this is the second 
piece of that. It's called the Empowerment Project. So you'll notice that on this podcast, I've talked a lot about empowerment um, and as it relates to leadership. And so essentially, the Empowerment Project is basically detailing how we've taken it from where we were in 19 to where we are now, all the learnings that we've had. Uh, leadership lessons, um, different things like that. So really excited. The book is finished, just buttoning up all the, uh, all the crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's type of thing. But uh, yeah, really excited about it. It definitely speaks to the culture that we've built and uh, a lot of the amazing people that we have around here doing a lot of great things for sure. That's really cool. It encompasses a lot of what we talked about today. Really, when we started this conversation about how the issue, not issues, but the challenges that you did have and how you overcame those through empowering other people and trusting them. Yeah. That's incredible. So I was going to ask you, so 2015 is when you took over the business, right? Yeah. So I started in 2011 at the time, and my brother started in 13. He's three years younger than I am. So after he graduated from college, he started right away. Dad was still involved in the business. We were heavy new construction at the time. And so in 15, dad was phasing out a little bit, just working a little bit less, taking more vacations, doing what he deserved to do after 20 some odd years. And so we made the decision and he was on board with it. Hey, we want to take this in a more residential play to a more residential company. And that's when we took over that piece. He was still doing some big projects and different things like that just to stay busy. And it was a slow evolution. So you hear the story a lot about, I think it's pretty common. Hey, we're in new construction. We want to be residential. We know it's the best thing to do, but how do we do it? Well, what I will tell you is it took us probably seven years to get fully rid of it. And I would almost encourage that rather than like, I know guys who have just like said, nope, we're not doing it anymore. And to me, that seems a little bit scary for my uh, risk tolerance level. And so essentially what we did is just phased it out. Hey, we did this much revenue this year. We want to only do this much next year and then so on and so forth until it was completely phased out. 2023, we're 100% residential service repair and replacement. But it took time. But yeah, that 15 was that demarcation in the line of when we started moving in that direction today. Dad's been retired for a couple of years. He still bebops in here to the office every once in a while when he's in town. But uh, yeah, he's just watching from afar, which is and hanging out with the grandkids and doing his thing. So, How hard do you think that part was for him to be able to just, because it's hit, but he built it up into the time you guys came in. How hard do you think it was for him to let go of what we were talking about earlier and empower you all to do your thing, not to mention the fact that you want to change the business model from new construction to residential? How hard do you think that was for him? It is. I think about it often because there's a part. My kids are young. They're five and two. So I got a little bit of time. But I've thought about what would that be like to, we talked about giving up control earlier. The one thing I have not figured out is how I would ever give up control and let go. Now, the big difference 
is that when we focused on the residential side, that wasn't something that dad was super focused on. So like when we started going down that path, I think it was a little bit easier for him to part. But to your question, it had to have been tough. What I will tell you and what I think is extremely important for family owned businesses that are multi-generational and different stuff like that. The thing that my dad did, and I don't know how he did it or how he grappled with, hey, this is the right course of action. But the one thing he did was he never told me no. And I was the ringleader being the older, older brother. And, hey, we're going to go do this and we're going to be. I remember back in 15, we sat down like, Dad, we're going to be a $20 million company. You just watch. This is going to be awesome. And he's probably thinking like, you're such an idiot. And but he he let us make mistakes. And I think that is one of the most difficult things to do is to allow your children to make mistakes. But ultimately, I think it has been the biggest catalyst for our growth is he let us do that. And if he would have been standing over our shoulder and trying to make decisions and given his input and stuff like that, I don't I do not think it would have went as it's gone. And so as I talked to me, I've talked to many a family business, like, how'd you do that? That's crazy. Like it's been a total struggle. It is really getting that generation that's passing it along to understand that at some point you're going to have to rip off the bandaid and you're going to have to get out of the way and you're going to have to let them make mistakes. And it's really hard. I can't even, my dad started our company on the back of our garage. It was him and nobody else in a van. And to see it where it was and, you know, where we are today, but where he grew it to before we took over. Yeah, there's a lot of pride and a lot of just blood, sweat and tears that you want to see it continue on. And so I'm eternally grateful to my dad for allowing us to do that and really having the confidence when he here's another crazy thing. When he did that in 15 my brother and I were in our mid to late twenties. So you're talking about, we weren't like, Oh, you're in your forties. Like, okay, you've been around the block. Like we had been, I'd been in the business for four years. My brother had been in the business for two and he had the courage and the wherewithal to turn it over and let us do it. So I don't know where he got that courage, but I hope that one day I have it because that's how the the business will carry on. I'm curious if he was like that prior to this endeavor. Throughout your life as a kid or a teenager, did he allow you to fail and allow you to make mistakes and not? Because look, dude, I got a 14 and a half year old. And I, up until recently, I, you know, I would try to control everything she did, period. Like, because yeah. I think I, I'm smarter than her. I know better. I see what's going to happen. It doesn't matter. Yep. None of that shit. None of that shit matters because she's going to do what she's going to do. Like, and the quicker yep. I understood, have found that out, or the quicker I learned that, dude, my life has been significantly less stressful. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. I got a five year old daughter. I'm just, I'm counting down the days till the teenage years. But I think. If I think back and growing up, he was always there to support us. He was work long hours. He, I remember many a times he'd come watch our baseball game and then go back to work or evenings when we'd be 
finish dinner and he'd pull out a set of prints or working on an estimate or whatever it was. And at the time when you're young, like you don't, none of that registers it's like, Oh yeah, dad just working. Like I'm going to go play video games or go outside or do whatever. And so now that I have a little bit of more or a little bit more perspective, I think looking back, yeah, he did allow us to make our own mistakes and allow us to do things like that. I think it was also a relief because at the time in 15, we were probably call it 40 employees. And so we're still at that level where running the company, you can still control everything may not be perfect, but you can have your hand in a lot of stuff. And I think it was a relief for him because when you're small, it's surrounding yourself with people that you trust can get a little bit wonky. Like, oh my God, I can't trust this person. And I think when Tyler and I came into the business, it was, okay, I can trust these people and we can grow. And there wasn't that he didn't have people that he could trust. It was just maybe there's a larger level of trust because, well, we're his sons and he can tell us what to do if things go wrong. But but yeah, I think that's been a kind of a characteristic of his kind of throughout our childhood. And even now, he's there to support us. He's there to provide, as I always say, unsolicited feedback. That's one thing that's on his resume. But guess what? He earned it. So he can make suggestions and do different things like that whenever he wants. And we'll take it under advisement. For sure. So do you think any anybody that's been in business for as long as you have, you've had bad apples, right? You've had people, uh, I may even know a couple of them, right? I, I, there's been experiences that you've gone through that probably didn't anticipate it turning out to be a bad experience. Do you think because of how your dad trusted you, do you think you got through those things or you handled those things with more emotional intelligence than the average person? Because I know some of the things that you've gone through. We don't have to bring all this. That We don't have to bring anything specifically up. Yeah. But I know you had to felt burnt at times. There had to be, I, I, there has to be times where you just want to squeeze somebody by the neck. Do you think because your how your dad handled you uh, emotionally or having that emotional intelligence, did that kind of kick in these situations, you think? 100%. I, I think that you have to have people are going to do, we're wired to seek out our best interests. And so thinking that your employees or your people on your team aren't going to do that is naive. So at the end of the day, it's really on you. If I had a bad apple, to me, I looked at, okay, what could I have done to course correct this? And so what we try to do is really over-index in our culture so that if you're going to be a bad apple, you're not going to fit here long because people are going to find you out. But I think that the one thing that I try to do today and why it's so important to me, why I'm writing this book called The Empowerment Project is because my dad empowered me and I didn't know a damn thing. And to me, it's that pay it forward type of thing where he trusted me. So I've got to trust some people to do some really great things too. And to me, it's in what he started is our obligation, both my brother and I is to trust people to go do a great job because 
at the end of the day, <laughs> most of the people that we trust have a hell of a lot more knowledge than a 29 and 26 year old had. And he handed over the keys to the damn business. So if we can surely trust someone to run the plumbing department or run the install department or whatever it is. So yeah, it's something that I think about a lot, but I think it did give us kind of a, a basis for like, hey, someone trusted me, like I've got to be able to trust other people. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I would have to agree that was probably yeah, that makes total sense. And I think that's probably the reason that this has been there's a lot of the reasons this has been successful, I think, for you, among a, a million other reasons. But that I think it's just a trait that a lot of people I don't know about a lot, but I just don't know if, if look, dude, you got to do a lot of personal development to get there. You've got to be able to look outside yourself. You got to be aware. You got to be, you got to know who you are. Um, yep. And I question a lot of times if, if people know that, unless you've done a deep dive into your soul and been through some hard shit, but some people don't have the opportunity. They, I, I don't know if they don't have the opportunity. They just don't know that they need that piece. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. It's one of those things that you've got to constantly be learning. Um, I, we've never, while we've built something really special and I'm excited about where we're heading in the future, we've got a lot of great team members. It's, there is no mountaintop. Being a leader, I believe, as Simon Sinek says, is it's a journey that never ends. It's like parenting. Parenting never ends. And understanding that piece of it, I think, allows you to wrap your brain around the fact that you can always be getting better. There's always something that you can be working on to make just a little bit better. Yeah, 100%. Well, Chad, man, this has been great. I would encourage everybody to go listen you know, to your podcast. Don't... Is, can't stop the growth. I almost said don't. Can't stop the growth. And then yep. your book will be out in February, which is incredible. If somebody wants to reach out to you, I know you do uh, monthly, I think it's monthly shop tours. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So best way to get a hold of me is either LinkedIn, fairly active on there. I've, I've started into the Facebook journey. I'm still navigating quite a bit there. So don't feel bad if I don't get back to you. LinkedIn, honestly, the best way is email. So chad at petermanhvac.com. Um, if you got a question, if you're struggling with something, whatever it may be, don't hesitate to reach out. You're not bothering me. It's really my mission to make as big of an impact in the industry as possible. And you do that by helping people. And then you mentioned tours. So we've got a tour coming up here in a few weeks on January 11th. And then we'll have another one in March. And so we do these tours every other month. It's a full on day of we do tour the facility. Then I have people from marketing, recruiting, call center, whatever it may be, come in and talk about how we do things. So it's been, we did them all last year. We do them again this year. I've got January, I think there's about 50 people coming in. So it'll be interesting on wrangling everybody in. But but yeah, and we push out kind of the signups you can sign up on our website and different things like that. But yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is don't hesitate to reach out. The reason that we were able to achieve what we've achieved is there are a lot of people along the way that helped me. How do you do this? What's the best pay plan? 
how do I turn this? Oh, like all of these things is we're all just trying to help each other out, which I think is so cool about the industry. I 100% agree. Chad, really appreciate the conversation. I really appreciate the time today. This has been a great conversation, my friend. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, hopefully help some people out there, which would be great. Thank you, brother. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at CoreyBarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.